myself. It's now or never. Hello, and welcome to the ADHD Deep Dive, uh, the show that's not about ADHD, but full of proof it exists. My name is David J. Mund. I'm an actor, director, cinematographer, photographer, musician. Oh my god, I'm not wearing my pointer finger ring. Embarrassing. If I'm going to be on camera, I got to wear that, right? Keep up the douchiness of this current iteration of self. Uh, anyway, yeah, David J. Mund, all of those things, and host of the ADH Deep Dive. Um, I believe that this is episode number 15 uh, in total. I could be wrong. Um, the last episode that aired was my episode with Ethan Hingston, my lifelong best friend. You know, we've popped in and out of friendship throughout the years. And if you listen to the episode, you know, we've had our spats throughout the years. Um, but yeah, the, the, the last episode was just kind of a, a little dive into my childhood with, you know, my longest friend. Um, if you did miss it, um, we we were friends from kindergarten, uh, we met pretty much first day, second day-ish of school, something like that, um, and then have remained in touch ever since, 28, 20, well, if I was five in kindergarten, that would have been 25 years later, no, 23 years later, I don't know, I'm not good at math, that's not what I came here to talk about, today is a solo episode, just me and the pups, they're hiding behind me, uh, maybe they'll be featured, um, a couple of reasons I wanted to go solo today, one, as I've mentioned a couple of times in this podcast, um, guests are tough. Um, I love having guests. Guests, I love talking to people and projecting onto them. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just kind of tough to not necessarily stay organized, but uh, there's a little bit of preparation that goes into having a guest that I don't need when doing a solo episode in that, you know, most of the people I have on here I already know. Um, but there's some performative aspect. And again, I don't want these to turn into interviews. I'd rather they were just kind of casual conversations that I am in charge of steering in a creative direction. Um, and the guests that I have on are typically pretty good at that. So where am I going? I'm rambling. ADHD. The C would see what I mean? Not about ADHD, but full of proof it exists. I have had a couple of people ask me, why is it the ADH? What does ADH stand for? It's ADHD. ADHD deep dive. I have ADHD. We're deep diving. Um, unfortunately, that's not clear by now, but that's okay. Um, I'm only a few months in, which feels like a long time. But when you look at some of the longest or some of the bigger podcasts out there, not even the ones that have been around the longest, hundreds and hundreds of episodes. I got lots of catching up to do. This is still a learning phase. Um, and with that learning phase, pow, new backdrops all the time. I don't know if you can really see. I'll kind of get out of the way. And if you're just listening on audio, so be it. Uh, I just exposed that there's a bounce board here. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to vibe it out a little bit. I'm tired of the side angle because when I'm talking to guests, I'm, uh, looking down in a corner. So I want to have all my plants and stuff in the back. Uh, but you can't really see because of where their face is on the screen when it's the two shot and whatever. I'm getting into semantics, uh, new setup, new backdrop, um, it's just in my office, which I'm trying to get kind of cozied out. Um, it's, it's just, there's big lights everywhere and I try to make sure that they're not really seen in the room, but it's not a very big room. So I'm kind of forced to shooting in like 
tucked in, like crammed in, but I'm learning a little bit about shooting in a corner and how that can add a little bit of depth. Um, and again, if you're not watching, you know, so be it. That's all right. Uh, I do appreciate the Spotify, Apple podcast, Google podcast. Is there a Google podcast? I don't know. I appreciate the audio listeners. Uh, but at the end of the day, I do prefer the visual medium. So I am going to still put a little bit of stock into the video version. Um, and again, it's just me here. I'm not, I don't have an editor. I don't have a producer. Fingers crossed that that day comes. Um, and I guess that's a good enough segue to talking about um, one of the cool things that's going to be happening soon. Um, I have talked with a friend um, who happens to run a small business. We're not going to get into names or specifics yet, uh, but we have talked about starting up some sort of partnership or sponsorship for the podcast. So that was, that kind of, it caught me by surprise. Not that she said yes, but that I asked in the first place if, or, or that I put myself out there in the first place. Um, 2023 is going to be a little bit more intentional. Um, look, I'm 28. I have failed my ass off, but I know there's a lot of failing to go. But the difference between 2023 and how I've responded to failure in the past is going to be the big difference. Um, now there's some sort of, um, you know, in the past you want to, I've, I've wanted to avoid failure at all costs. And of course, like, you know, I'm not seeking to fall flat on my face. I'm not really excited about bombing or anything like that or, but, um, 2023 and beyond, I'm going to try and just take more creative risks, take more personal risks. Um, and not so much in a careless way, but more in an intentional way. Like I, I'm going to fail upward in that I just want to be a little bit more confident, um, asking or trying new things and just accepting that failure is ultimately a part of it because there is the cliche that failure is part of success, but like, you know, when you're trying to like dance around failure, when you're trying to get away from failure, um, you don't experience it in the way that you should. It's a very humbling experience. Um, I'm, we've all failed. We all continue to fail. We all will fail. Um, I, I'm going to get away from this prophetic rant here. I'm just saying I reached out and got a yes. And that's so cool. That's all I'm really trying to say, because there is a past me who wouldn't have even asked in the first place. And then, you know, you don't take those risks and you don't get any reward. So uh, I can't talk about it yet. We are setting up logistics and numbers and stuff, but uh, there's going to be a little bit of cool um, exclusive VIP type stuff that only listeners of the ADH Deep Dive will get. And that's really cool because right now the only exclusive thing that you have at your disposal is just seeing my mug every day, um, every Monday, um, which actually brings me to another transition. Look at me go. I'm on a segue. Oh, first ASMR. You want to hear this neck crack? Okay. I'm about to crack my neck extremely hard with no hands. If you do not like the sound of necks popping, turn away, turn or whatever. Okay, here we go. Oh, that was sad. I tried to put the mic up to it. Oh, it's popping every once in a while. You probably can't even hear it. That was probably lame. I can pop my neck really, really well, but I got in my head about doing it on camera, so I twisted my face all sorts of weird ways. Um, 
ASMR people. What was I talking about? My face. Um, guys, these sunken eyes, it's just how I look. It's just how I look. Uh, yeah, I'm tired. And yeah, sometimes I'm high. Oftentimes I'm high, especially on camera. Uh, but uh, it's just how I look. Um, I've had a couple of comments kindly reaching out to me about my color correction, which, hang on, this will be another transition. Look at me go. Vroom, 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 vroom on the segue. That was the, uh, okay, moving on. Um, segways, what am I doing? My face, my eyes. I have really sunken eyes. Um, and I've had some people tell me that it might be because of the color correction. And while I know that my color corrections aren't particularly great on the edits of any video I post of myself or of other people or whatever, um, it's just how I look. Uh, my mid twenties were rough and stressful and <laughs> I went through a lot of shit and all of a sudden I got the eye bags of a 40 year old. Um, I think I'm okay with that. I think I'm fine. I think it doesn't bother me. It did bother me. I don't think it bothers me, but if you keep asking me or telling me about it, it's probably going to make me a little more insecure. Did I just invite criticism of my eye bags? I'm actually reflecting on that. Did I? Whatever. This is raw, unfiltered and all that. Yeah, look at these. They're intense. I know everybody complains about their freaking eye bags, but I mean, I'm a pale white dude. I'm not going through the lengths of putting makeup on my face to look better on camera. I probably, you know, I... It, you do that in film and television. I, I get that. I'm not like against doing that, but this is the podcast. I don't give a shit. This is what I look like. And yeah, the lights draw it out. So what, right? I've also got like a little weird neck beard thing going on right now. And I haven't shaved my head in a couple of days. So friggin' so. Um, although there is some truth to me being tired. I am always tired, um, which is why I got myself some caffeine. Uh, I've got all my liquid vices around here. I've got my water bottle. I've got my uh, lime LaCroix. Right now I've got a caramel macchiato international delight iced coffee mm, made with real milk and cream. Wow. I can't wait to regret this later. Um. Yeah, if there's one thing I don't need, it's more caffeine and milk. Um, I guess this isn't just a part of being a vegetarian, but I am, or I guess this is a part of being a vegetarian um, in that I don't have real milk anymore. Um, but I like allow myself, you know, the sweet treat type thing. So the coffee, that's fine. Um, I don't eat meat. Um, I do have cheese. I'm not a vegan, but I don't drink dairy milk. But when I do, oh, I was supposed to shake it gently. Shoot. Do I just swirl it? Um, uh, but when I do, uh, it's, it's when I know or it's when I'm okay with it fucking me up because it is going to fuck me up. You know, bubble gut and all that. All right. We're not going to talk about my insides. Um, hang on, I got to sip this. Man, I really was supposed to shake that. Shit. <laughs> like none of none of the flavor is up at the top. Or it just tastes weak. I usually get the Starbucks double shot um, drinks if I'm getting 
anything canned like on the go. But the store I just went to didn't have any of it. This isn't great. What a shame. Um, anyway, to use that face conversation as a segue, um, uh, I put a couple of posts out, Instagram, at uh, David J. Mund, um, on my personal Facebook, which unless you're a friend of mine, you're not even going to be able to get to because it's a private account. Um, I'm on my Twitter and on my YouTube. Anyways, I put out a, a, a space for you to ask questions, and some of you did. And um, a lot of you just gave me a lot of bullshit questions, like how much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Uh, my friend Christopher also asked me what the circumference of dat ass is. And I'm still doing the math. We'll get to you. Um, but uh, Nikolai, who has also been on this podcast, um, asked me a little bit about what it's like being a colorblind cinematographer, videographer, video director, whatever, a, a colorblind creative. And while I have talked about this for literally all my life, because once somebody finds out, of course, they got to point something out and ask me, what color's this? Okay, if you're really colorblind, what color's this? And then if I happen to get it right, they're like, oh, you're not colorblind, as if I would keep up a ruse for 28 years that was developed when I was like four, because that's worth it. I'm having the time of my life. Isn't this so fun? Um, if there are any colorblind people out there who are listening, um, which I know not only is being a ginger ridiculously rare, but a colorblind ginger. How many colorblind, bald gingers do you think are out there? How many colorblind, bald gingers do you think are out there with ADHD? Probably not many, right? Look at me go. Anyways, um, yeah, I don't know. If, if there are any of you out there, um, perhaps you can empathize. We find out very early. I think it's... Um, uh, either before kindergarten, it was either in Head Start or kindergarten itself. There's like the fundamentals that you got to learn. Now, I'm not a teacher, so I don't know the exact um, uh, uh, curriculum that you got to have as a kid. But typically, it's like social skills. Can he learn his colors and his numbers on his hand? You know, uh, we're not asking him to count to infinity, but, you know, does he know one through ten? A through Z, red through magenta. Wait, I think magenta is pretty close to red. <laughs> See, this is my point. Um, anyway, so I am what is referred to as a deutronope. I have deutronopia. Um, there is deutronopia, protonopia, and tridonopia. My knowledge about this goes only as far as what I have, um, so I can't really speak on the other color blindnesses. Um, but, uh, to dispel some myths, one, no, I don't see in black and white. Um, this is not how it works. Uh, although I think maybe, you know what? Okay. Again, I'm speaking on deutronopia, protonopia, tridonopia. I think there are other color blindnesses. There may be some people who just see monochromatic black and white. I think there's some people who, I heard some anecdotes when I was a kid about people who saw everything white was actually brown. But that seems not real. <laughs> see, see what I'm doing? I'm doing exactly what people did to me as a kid. I can't wrap my head around it, so it must not be real. Um, anyways, I'm just speaking on what I have. Uh, my understanding is that deutronopia 
is vision with the absence of red. So I can't see the color red. I don't know if this is a particular hue of red because there are some things that I think include red in it that I can see. See, I'm still confused on it myself because how do you explain something that you can't see? Anyways, um, how do you describe something you can't see? Whatever. So deuteranopia, I believe, is the absence of red. Protonopia is the absence of green. And tridonopia is blue-yellow colorblindness, but I don't really know how that works. Some people tell... See, that one's wild to me because some people tell me that like, oh, yeah, I could kind of see how you can get blue and yellow mixed up because they're right next to each other on the colorblind wheel. <laughs> I'm the only one on the colorblind wheel. Uh, but anyways, it's uh, they're right next to each other on the color wheel. I think that that's true. I don't know. Um, anyways, that blows my mind because blue and yellow in my brain are the, like total opposites of each other. But I don't know if this is just how my brain works in that. Oh, hang on. There's a freaking clip on this microphone that I didn't even realize. I was wondering what was poking my hand this whole time. Um, anyways, blue and yellow look totally different to me because when I think of blue, I immediately think of dark blue. And when I think of yellow, I think of like bright yellow, like the sun. But uh, back to what I am, Deuteronopia. In theory, yeah, I don't see red. But red-green colorblindness, Deuteronopia, is the opposite of protonopia, which is green-red colorblindness. So the theory is I can't see red, so everything that is red kind of looks green or looks like what green is. Um, and then the f opposite is true for uh, protonopias, as in they can't see green, they can see red, but everything that is green looks red. I don't know how it works. I know there's like something with cones and eyeballs and birth and percentages and genetics and all that. My dad, my biological dad, is colorblind in the same way that I am. Um, but there's also like degreeing levels of severity. Um, like some people can see certain hues of red. Um, some people cannot or shades. I, I don't know. See, the thing is, uh, to kind of tie it into the, to the art side, to the creativity side, this is what has kind of always made me feel like a child, sort of, because, yeah, it's very fundamental. You learn your colors as a kid. Once I learned there are certain colors I can't see, as a kid, I just checked out. So, like, I didn't color. I didn't paint. I didn't really draw much, even though you can do black and white. I basically just, like, checked out from art in general. And kind of, you know, excused my way through those formative years of basic cognitive understanding of how the world works as far as colors go. Um, just because it was, I wasn't, I don't know if I could get away with it. So it, it feels weird to say that I don't really know my colors now as a full grown adult. Um, because it's not really just red that I don't see. There are other colors that I don't get like I don't understand how something I, I don't understand I don't understand how something can be two colors at, at once like uh, <laughs> uh, it feels a childish talking about this but I mean like okay uh is it I could be off base entirely here just 
just shouting this one out randomly, but isn't it's teal, right? Teal is like blue green or blue gray. I don't get that. How can some, because to me, when you like mix the colors, it's a different color, right? But some, you can see, some people can see both blue and green in a certain color. I don't, I don't get that. And now I'm again dabbling in a conversation about like trying to explain something I can't even see or understand. But translated into the cinematography world, it's really fucked me up, man. Like, um, it started. It I remember the first criticism I ever got because I started like casual photography. I was um, my ex's dad had a camera. It was an old Canon camera. I'm sure I could shoot video on it. And I'm sure I did shoot some video on it, but mostly I just took pictures of shit. And then immediately I was like, Ooh, that means I can do weddings. And I was charging like $50 for a wedding, not really understanding how much work actually goes into it. Anyways, one of the first weddings I shot, there was a lot of blonde people in it. And when I, um, uh, went to do like color correction or editing or whatever, their hair was apparently really yellow. I like oversaturated. So this is another like layer of colorblindness is that everything is apparently in my eyes a lot more desaturated than your eyes are if you are a normal color seer um uh yeah so that it started there and then like it got into like skin tones like um you know sometimes my skin on screen is really green or really pink because like i have to mess with the tint scale but then there's like the temperature where like sometimes the shot is too cool and I have to warm it up a little bit. But then if I warm it up, it's a little too oversaturated. So then I have to bring certain specific colors down to match my skin tone out. And then people are either like gray or um, just uh, just o oversaturated in a certain way. If I'm editing skin tones, it's really fucked me up. Um, so... This is this this also just feeds into my desire to not really want to touch a camera. Um it is again nice to and important to understand shot composition and aspect ratios and lighting and and set design and so be it. But when it comes to colors, man, I'm just like I can't help. I can't help you at all unless we're shooting monochrome, black and white. Then I feel like I have a, a, a little bit better of a grasp, um, certainly. But even still, when you're in black and white, if you change the temperature, if you warm a shot up, it gets, a, a, quote, brighter. I, I don't know, I, warmer. Uh, if you slide the temperature, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> how do color? I, how do uh, Mino get? Um, so, yeah, in the future... When it comes to making narrative films or uh, just any project where I can hire externally, um, A, I'm going to, I would love to have the budget for an editor in general, but B, like having a colorist, a color specialist um, would be great because like, I feel like a chump. I feel like a small child, a little baby who doesn't know his colors yet. Um, I don't want that, man. Like I'm a freaking, I'm a big boy. Okay, I should know my blues and my reds, but let me pose, now that I say blue out loud, let me pose this question to you just to leave you with a, a small thought experiment. You normal color seers, 
Okay, so the color blue. Picture it in your head, of course. Think of things that are blue. Um, in the way that you're asking me to describe what I see to you, I'd like you to take the color blue as an example and find some way to explain the color blue without naming something that is blue or using any other color. And try to explain the color blue to someone who can't see at all, let alone can't see colors. Um, if you can, leave me a comment. Um, I'm sure there are ways to describe it, but there's just, it's, it's so difficult to describe a color without using another color or something that is that color to describe it. Yeah, you could say there's a feeling like, you know, yellow is, it's, it's warm because it's like the sun, which is yellow. Oh, whoops, nope, can't use the sun. But warm, I get warm from heat because heat is like fire, like, no, no, that, that's, that's just, fire is like red and yellow and orange. and just, I can't do it. Can you? I struggle. So yeah, colorblindness, it's real tough in the cinematography game. Thank you for the question, Nikolai. Um, so a couple of other things we should get to. Um, first of all, I've got all my vices around here, as in my caffeine and my H2O and my sparkling H2O, um, my liquid acid, liquid LSD. I don't have that. Um, I don't know where my weed pen is. Oh, I'm looking at it. Here we go. Addict time. Get your drug on. Is that right, Mund? That's right, David. Um, here, let me see if you can see my dogs back there. Judah. Can't, hi, beautiful. See, I just kind of put them behind me. Uh, they've got a little blanket blanket down on the floor. Um, they snuggle up to each other. They've got their their um, little bones that they chew on. They've got a couple of stuffed toys. Um, these dogs, man, I don't know if I've talked about this in the past, but these dogs, my freaking everything, man. Uh, Gus is come uh, closing in on twelve. Judah, I think she's getting. I think this year or next year she will be ten. I don't know. I really lost track because around the time that I had her was such a like uh, overwhelmingly emotional time in my life that I was just not. <laughs> and time is a construct, right? Time's not real, man. It's made up. Um. To my weed smokers out there, are you still smoking flour? Oh, I didn't even hit that. Um, uh, I know that this is maybe the the worst part of a podcast is when people immediately like transition to talking about something that you don't do if you don't smoke weed. Um, but it's a big part of my life. It's not part of my identity, but I do it a lot. And I think there is a point in the future where I quit. I've quit many times throughout my life, but right now I think I've established some sort of healthy relationship with it in that I've, I've, uh, uh, a lot of my paranoia and anxiety have subsided. Although, man, I'm getting really good at these transitions. Um, 
one of the things I did want to talk to you today about is uh, my anxiety in general and more specifically the medicine that I take for my anxiety. Um, but first, a word from this weed pen. This one is a lemon cherry gelato. It's delicious. Okay, let's talk about my medicine. So at the beginning of 2020, well, not at the beginning of 2020. Um, I want to say it was right around June-ish. Um, so it was during the summer, of course, of the pandemic. The first summer of the pandemic. I think technically we're still in it, but I don't really know what that means anymore these days. Anyway, we're not we're not talking about that. Nope, 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 nope. Not talking about that. What we're talking about is my anxiety. Around June-ish of 2020, I thought I was having a heart attack. I was, I was like legitimately convinced. And there was conversations about anxiety with me and uh, my girlfriend at the time. Um, and I, I think I could always recognize that I was anxious. But I didn't think that anxiety was an ailment. Um, I just thought it was a byproduct of this fucking horrible person I had turned into. And I was just, and I don't mean just horrible in that. No, I do mean that horrible. I didn't like myself at the time. And of course, 2020 and being locked in and locked down made a lot of people reflect. And I'm going to be honest, I was also doing <clears throat> a few psychedelics at this time. Um, so things were changing. Meant, uh, I was, I, I was re-examining myself in a new way. Unless, and I'm going to be clear. Um, I didn't like overindulge on psychedelics through that year. I think I had a really, I had a really good relationship with psychedelics during 2020. It's the, the first year I had ever done anything. Um, and I, again, I'm not going to really go into this too much. Um, I just, I, I just think that what was supposed to come out of that experience, those experiences did come out. And I, I'm actually very grateful for the experiences that I had. Anyways, um, I don't know that this had even happened yet. I don't know that psychedelics had happened yet. I just know that I was... Anyway, I think I'm having a, a heart attack, okay? It finally subsides, and I'm just like, just shocked to my core that that happened and that I survived. So I immediately scheduled some sort of doctor's appointment. Now this time, and still, I don't have health insurance, okay? I think we could really get into a whole discussion about how fucked up it is that healthcare is not more affordable, accessible, or dare I say it, free. Yeah, I'll say it. Um, but how do we pay for it? Blah, blah, blah. Go fuck yourself. That's what I have to say. Um, <laughs> sorry, I got a little heated. I just been to the doctor and the hospital way too many damn times in my life. And I'm tired of having to fucking pay for it. All because I don't have a job that's willing to provide insurance or I don't have the income as a freelancer to be able to afford insurance in a way that's actually meaningful to my life. You know, I'm not going to pay $150 a month to not 
to not use it. I know you never want to use your health insurance, but that's stupid how that works. It's ridiculous. I'm not a politician. I'm not an economist. I'm just a dude who doesn't want to go to the hospital anymore. Anyways, I went to the hospital. Did some scans. Nothing. Everything's fine. And this, you know, to a to greater extent, that's kind of what happens every time I go to the hospital. I don't know that this is necessary. Not every time I go to the hospital. I don't know that this is necessarily rooted in hypochondria, but I'm sure it is to a certain degree because I am a hypochondriac. I'm not a hypochondriac in the way that like every day it's a new thing that I think I have cancer and that I think I'm dying and then blah, blah, blah. It's just like you could convince me to believe I have something if one of the symptoms are the same. You know what I mean? That, that type of hypochondriac. And you know what? Ridiculously painful screeches of a ridiculously painful chest pain I was willing to believe was a heart attack. So after all these scans, my doctor does two things. She goes, one, it, it, it could be GERD, which I don't really remember what that is. I think it's something about gastro something. Is it G-I-R-D? I thought it was G-E-R-D. Gastrointestinal reflux disease and belly bubble gut coming back up she, think, she thought that it was like heartburn essentially and i don't know i'm i'm such an asshole at the doctor i'm not an asshole to my doctor i'm just an asshole in that like i don't believe anything anybody says to me about my own body if you do not validate my suspicion about what i have i don't trust you i don't believe you that's wrong that's not how i should operate but it happens, okay? Uh, my doctor's a very kind person. I don't even really see her anymore. I see her through telehealth because she's the only thing that I can remotely afford. Even though telehealth appointments are a few hundred dollars in and of themselves without insurance, even if we're just re-upping my dosage. <laughs> oh, man, I did not expect to get so heated about this today. I'm sorry, I'm being a little sarcastic um, and a little passive-aggressive. Uh, I'd like to rein in my attitude, um, and talk more precisely about the story. Anyway, um, and she gave me anxiety medication, okay? Um, it's called duloxetine. It is a generic for the pill Cymbalta. Now, in the past, I had been on some sort of medication that I think was supposed to be for anxiety, but I was asking for it for depression um, because at the time I did have insurance and I was seeing a different therapist who, pers who sent me a recommendation, or sent a recommendation to my doctor to get me on Lexapro back in the day, which prepare for the TMI. I think I've actually already talked about this in a podcast as well. Um, for some men, people with penises, it just makes them, uh, makes them stop working, even when you want them to work. Um, it just, re it just really lowers your sex drive. Um, and that caused a lot of problems in my relationship at the time. I'm not going to get into that more. I'm just saying I was very skeptical of going into medication again because the person I was with, you know, we were having sex and I didn't want that to happen again. 
because uh, it's not just embarrassing, but like you get in your head and yeah, there's like the whole, it's totally normal. It's healthy. It happens to all men. And then there's also like, there's a portion of time where you go through your medication, what kind of stuff like that happens. You just got to get past it. I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want it. I didn't want that to happen again. So for a few weeks, I was just taking the GERD, <laughs> the GERD medication um, for acid reflux. And it happened again, man, like a few weeks later. And this time I was like almost about to call an ambulance. And if you live in the United States, which I'm sure most of you do, who are listening at this time, that's like thousands and thousands of dollars is just calling an ambulance, having them come get you and take you to the hospital. Thousands of dollars, maybe tens of thousands of dollars. I wasn't going to do it is the point. So I thought I was going to die. It hurt so bad, man. And I was like, oh, I was just, I just, I don't know if I was screaming in pain, but I was doubled over and I, I was just having this strange reflection of mortality and, and I came out of it. And I was just nowhere for like eight hours. I was just in this pit of a lack of emotion. And the physical pain stopped. But I could suddenly feel every vein in my body, every nerve ending. And... It, where else do you go if you can't trust your doctor then to Reddit? <laughs> um, and I just posted something along the lines of like, I think I just had a heart attack and I can feel my whole body in a way I never have. What's happening to me? And an overwhelming amount of comments were like, oh, bro, you just had a panic attack talk about not trusting my doctor. I mean, it was like, why did I, why did I post this? Of course, these Reddit people are going to tell me that I had a panic attack because they don't know me. They're just going to dismiss it. They think that I'm just some anxious guy who like oh, gets overwhelmed and like panics about it. They, whatever. Everybody said I was having a panic attack and I didn't believe them because uh, at least, at least to my knowledge, I had never I had never experienced a panic attack like that. I could I could I, you know I've probably used the expression that gave me a panic attack or I've got anxiety or um man you almost gave me an anxiety attack or something I, but I never really identified a physical feeling associated to that in the way that this um this feeling that resembled a freaking heart attack did. But then, of course, the doctor's opinions are lining up with Reddit's opinions, and I'm going through this uh, change in humility, and I'm trying to reflect a little bit more and become less stubborn, and we're still working on it, folks. Let's be real. So I start taking the, the medication, duloxetine, Cymbalta. Hang on, there's a ton of sirens going on outside the door. 
five minutes later, I think that it's finally time to uh, finish this fucking story. Um, sorry, that was a lot of sirens. Welcome to West Michigan, people. Um, okay, so uh, where were we? Oh, okay, so yeah, so I decide I'm going to start taking this medication. Initially, it's like 10 milligrams, okay? Something just to get you, just to get your lips wet, you know? And man, did that suck. <laughs> I hated that. The first two or three days were like, because I was told I could either take it in the morning or at night. I take it in the morning. Now, I'm going to therapy at this time as well. Um, again, no insurance. God bless the therapist. I have. No, I'm not going to therapy at this point. When do I end up going to therapy? I go to therapy later at some point. But I wasn't going to therapy at this point. I guess I was wrong. Um, I had had a therapist in the past, but I was not going to a therapist now at this point in the story. Anyways, start taking the pills. 10 milligrams. Fucked me up in the morning. Just nausea and confusion. And just like this weird sense of dissociation. Plus like through the whole pandemic, man. Talk about getting high. And I, I did not have a healthy relationship with weed at that point. I was an all day, every day, bong smoker, dude. Like... Did not smoke out of a bowl. Every once in a while, we'd smoke joints. But I was hitting up freaking bong all day long because I'm at home. Like, I stayed home. It was the pandemic. Lest we forget, those first few months, we were like, are we ever going to be allowed to leave? At least some of us. I know we've come a long way since the pandemic as far as, like, some of the social divide. But those first few months... If you weren't chilling out and at least somewhat doing your part, you, you really upset me. <laughs> we can come back from that and, uh, you know, we can work our way through this. But, yeah, some of you really frustrated me. I was I was way too anxious and scared. See, there I go, using the word anxious um, just casually, not really associating it with a feeling. Anyway, I, I did not go outside for the longest time. I had a few quarantine friends. And we were making sure that we were wearing masks, keeping ourselves socially distanced, wiping things down. Most of the time we were outside. What a time that was. Uh, anyway, so that first few days was just disgusting, man. Like, I, I hated how I felt. But my doctor said something along the lines of like, if you can get through the first few weeks, we can up your dosage. And that should help level you out. And I was like, I, I don't know. I had this weird reflection of like, it's that or a heart attack again. You know, if, if that's what this is, I would rather not have that feeling again. So I keep taking it, keep taking it, keep taking it. This maybe two weeks go by and I'm supposed to be on it for six weeks or something before they say that it's going to like make me feel better. And it's not. It's not making me feel any better. So the only switch that I can think of to do is to start taking it at night. Maybe by the time I wake up, I'll feel a little bit better. That like period of nausea will subside and then we can just get through it. And it kind of did. 
I think that my brain was a little confused because it wasn't used to getting this medication at night. And so like it was um, maybe acting in this like a delayed sense or whatever. I did have a little bit of dissociation and confusion in the morning, but not none of the nausea. So I started doing that more regularly. And I'm supposed to do this every day, once, once, uh, once a night, once a morning, whatever. Um, and eventually, yeah, the six weeks roll by and I'm like, I'm kind of used to it at that point. Now I'm not noticing a difference that it's making in my day to day life, but I do notice that the, the feeling, the, the gross feeling that I got from the medication is no longer there. So I suppose that's considered progress, but I also have this really unhealthy relationship to pharmaceutical drugs in the first place. There's a whole batch of extra stories that I'm sure um, I'm sure this podcast could be a medium to talk about those things. But I just have a, a me and my family have a very storied history with uh, the pharmaceutical industry. <laughs> Fuck them. OK, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, so I have in the back of my mind that like it's either working or, you know, uh, I'm scared of it working because what does that mean? Am I going to get addicted? Am I going to, I have this weird understanding of how it works because the aforementioned issues I have in my family with it. But so I get through the six weeks and then my doctor checks in, says, how are we doing? You want, you want to up the dosage? I was like, well, is that going to work? Is it going to change anything? She says, well, we can start small. So they go from 10 to 20. And I'm immediately nervous that once we get back to tw up, up and my body's not used to what we're getting, that the nausea is going to come back. That was my least favorite part. I mean, yes, the dissociative or the dissociation, blah, blah, blah. But there's like things that, I mean, I dissociate all day long. Okay. I, I, I was okay with that as a byproduct of this medication, as long as it meant some path to never having that feeling again of this heart attack, whatever. Now, the 20 milligrams didn't change anything. I didn't notice any dissociation, any nausea, any anything. Um, and I'm still taking it at night. And now at a certain point, therapy comes in and there's a whole story around, uh, you know, I was with somebody at the time and we ended up splitting up. I don't really think it's relevant to talk about it in that sense at least now it's just not, it's not part of the, the problem here. Um, but therapy became a part of it. And through therapy, I started to understand really what anxiety even was. And, you know, there are some people out there who say that therapists exist only to keep you coming back. Um, and first of all, I think that's wrong. I, I, I think everybody could use, a good, healthy amount of therapy. Um, you know, there are some things that just, you know, just aren't for everyone, which this medication, other medications like it, uh, certain exercise routines. But therapy, I think, is for everybody. You just got to talk about it sometimes. It, it, even, if, even if you're not looking for answers, um, which I was, um, you just got to get it out. Get it out of your chest. Get, talk to a wall or something. You can use a wall as a therapist, but when you say like drugs are my therapy or exercise is my therapy, 
No, therapy is your therapy. Drugs are your drugs. Exercise is your exercise. Therapy is your therapy. Um, uh, anyway, my, my therapist at the time, I won't say her last name, but her name was Pam. Her name is Pam. Phenomenal therapist. I think really gave me some of uh, some tools that I use every day now to not just not just quell the anxiety, but to stay alive, quite frankly. Um, anyways, uh, Pam really helped me understand what anxiety even was. And I had come to grips with the fact that I had depression a while back, which, like I said, is why I took medication in the past. But anxiety wasn't... Anxiety was just something that people who are scared of scary movies get. That's it. Uh, in my mind, of course, at the time. Um... But through this greater understanding of what anxiety even was, I started identifying moments in my past, not just distant past either, but the recent past that made me go like, oh, that's because I see it's because I was anxious. That feeling I had, oh, that's anxiety. And then while gaining an understanding of what anxiety was in the first place, I was able to to notice that the medication was kind of starting to work because gaining an understanding of what the anxiety was helped me figure out that I, oh, I'm not, ha I'm not even feeling that anymore. Isn't that interesting? And now that's not never, and certainly still, still not, not now it's never, it's not never now is what I'm trying to say. Um, I feel, uh, I don't think, well, I almost had a panic attack the other day. <laughs> that was just me. Actually, that's really weird. We'll get there. We'll talk about that. Um, uh, sorry, I got to... <laughs> having some epiphanies in the moment. God, I love this podcast. I love you guys. The fact that I get to do this is really cool. Like the fact that there's people willing to listen to me explore some of this shit. It, not just with friends and guests that I have, but, you know... There's a healthy amount of people who tune into the solo episodes and you're listening to me right now and you give a shit enough to <laughs> be patient through this rant um, and self-discovery. Thank you. I love you guys. I'm going to take a sip of this caramel macchiato. Anyway, um, what else did we have? What was I saying? Oh God, ADHD deep dive. Uh, it's happening. Um, what was I talking about? I was talking about medication and therapy and getting an understanding of anxiety and then ha still having anxiety now. Anyway, well, I think that I was just trying to say that now my uh, dosage is significantly higher, but I think it's plateaued. I think it's where it's going to be. I don't think I really need to share what the dosage is because it's not 10 and it is much higher than 20. Uh, but I think it's where it's going to stay for a little while. And I can actually see a path toward phasing it out. Maybe in a few years. I don't know. Fortunately, it's not one of the super expensive medications that are out there. Because again, without insurance, I wouldn't be able to... No. What am I even saying? I don't have insurance. I'm saying like... <laughs> I'm tripping up over my own words. This is a combination of coffee, weed, and vulnerability happening right now. It's me forgetting my own stories while they happen. Um, 
I'm saying it's not a super expensive medication. I have what's called GoodRx, which is basically you just, if you go to a pharmacy and you tell them, oh, I forgot my GoodRx, I think they apply it. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a, a what is it called? A, a discount. You just get discounts on medications. And this, what would usually be a $158 medication for a 90 day supply, I think it's like 20 bucks, um, which you know, still not ideal, but you know, I can, I can pay $20 for not having heart attack like feelings. However, the discussion around why I want to, why I see a path toward phasing it out is because when I forget to take my medication, boy, oh boy, is that gross. I think since, since I've been on the dosage that I am now, I have forgotten to take, which I think has been about uh, a year, maybe, a, a, um, let's see, just over, by the end of 2021, I was on the, I was on the dosage that I am on now. And since then, I have forgotten to take it, I would say maybe f five or six times. Um, and the minute I wake up, and I realize that I've forgotten to take this, uh, things get rough. Um, I, I believe that Cymbalta, or Duloxetine, as I take, is more specifically an anxiety medication. But when I forget to take it, I am suddenly very aware of the depression that has yet to work its way out of my body entirely. Um, and this is where I start to equate it to that feeling that I got right after that heart attack like feeling. And I don't, I, I keep saying heart attack. I don't know what a heart attack feels like apparently. However, that's what I thought I was having because it was that painful in my chest specifically. But the feeling that I got after that heart attack like feeling was this like, again, sudden awareness of my insides and all of my nerves and like I could physically see the words that were like spinning around in my head with my ADHD just swirling like a tornado in my brain. When I forget to take my meds, that physical... um connection, physical awareness is there all day. And I think, and I'm not a doctor, I think that I can technically take, if I forget to take it at night, I can take it in the morning. I don't want to. It scares me, man. I don't want, I never, I don't want too much of anything. It scares me. Um, I don't know if you can, I don't know if you could overdose on anti-anxiety medication, but I just don't even want to know what that side effect would be if the, the potential cost is a blow to my mental health. You know, when I think about my mental health, it used to be houseless it had no home, and so it just freely 
escaped in ways it shouldn't have. Now it has a home, but it's made of glass. And any little pebble could just shatter that thing. And I don't want to do that. So when I'm already in this, like, debilitating feeling in the morning when I realize I haven't taken my medication, I now use that feeling as an opportunity to start figuring out what it would be like if I wasn't on the medication. Because at a certain point, whether it's because that giant asteroid has finally hit the planet or it's because I eventually just decide that it's time to get off of the medication or whatever, anything in between. A day will come where I probably won't be on this medication. I can't imagine I'm taking it until till I die, you know, if I'm living a long life. I, can't, I just can't imagine that. So I'm going to have to come to grips with a world where it doesn't exist in my life. Now, mind you, the difference between... I, I do not have intentions of cutting cold turkey. That's not how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to eventually wean your body off of it. And that's why the body has such a negative reaction if you don't take it because it's so used to this regularly scheduled thing. I mean, let's be real. I've taken one every single day for the last, at least of this dosage, for the last year and a couple of months, plus the other dosages that I was taking. So like it is now used to this serotonin or dopamine or endorphins all those three words are the same to me i don't know which one is relevant in this context um but when my body's used to having that and it doesn't have it it attacks itself like searching every nook and cranny in my brain to find some sort of happiness or understanding or calm and it's knocking over shelves and it's kicking doors in just to find it. Where's the fucking serotonin? And it can't find it. And if the pill's not going to make it, I have got to find some way to make it myself. Um, so along with all of my journaling and my medication and my um, small bouts with therapy... I've got to do some other mental work. So that's, you know, box breathing exercises. Yoga has become huge in my life. Yoga, it sounded like I said yogurt, at least in my brain. Um, whoa, oh, somebody's, somebody's knocking on something. There goes the dogs. So, sorry about that. Judah and Gus both just both just through a pretty <laughs> hearty tantrum. So I've got Judah here with me yet again to answer the people's questions. Judah, what the fuck was that about? Do you care to elaborate? She does not. She's just going to hang out with me in the baby jail, which is my lap. I'd love for you guys to meet Gus. Uh, you know what? You should meet Gus. This whole conversation about medication 
and therapy and uh, anxiety and depression is on a temporary hold so you can meet Gus. Gustavo, come here. Come here. So this isn't going to line up well. So Gus is my bestest bud, my best friend in the whole world. Come here, Gus. Give me hugs. Uh, I got him. Oh, you told the people you say hi. I got him a few years back. Um, come here, all the way up. Can you come up? Hang on one second. Here we go. Oh, okay. Okay, okay, okay. Hang on. Let me get this. Okay. So, <laughs> Gus, uh, if you're watching here, is my, my big boy. Um, he's, like I said, closing in on 12 years old here. He is a lab mixed with a basset hound so he's basically a lab with stubby little legs um and he's got gray raccoon circles around his eyes he's a hugger he's a lover he's a barker he's a stinky old man okay he wants to go when i first got him i thought that they told me that he was a pit bull mixed with a dachshund because he kind of has like a pit bull skull but he's got again these short little stubby legs so they said that that's he was mixed with a dachshund I ended up finally, after many, many years, doing a DNA test on him. None of that. He's a lab basset hound, and that makes so much sense. Because he's got this, like, stout body. These stubby little legs. But a, a lab face. But his gut hangs, but it's not fat. It's just like... He's got a big belly, but it's not fat. <laughs> Anyways, he's my best friend, man. I love that dog. Um, tell you what. I know you, I said you're not allowed to say this, but dogs are my therapy, man. Um, I can't get into another conversation about my dogs because I don't want to cry on camera, and that is the one way to make me do it. The idea of life without them is horrifying. Although, and I did write this down also, Man, I'm getting so good at these segues. Oh, I'm so proud of me. Um, life is tough with them. I will be real. Um, especially as a, a a creative or someone with wanderlust, or I just I can't sit still. Um, and that means I don't want to be home all day. Um, but also there's a responsibility to be home. Um, they are my children, and even though I got them at times that, you know, set me up for some sort of financial setbacks. They were, it was an irresponsible decision to get not just Judah, but also Gus. I was young when it happened, younger, especially. Um, and I just wasn't ready for the type of responsibility. Now I have, you know, you deal with it. You kind of get over it, especially out of love. Um, I would never, I wouldn't trade it for the world, but, um, hey, Gus, that's enough. <laughs> uh, I still gotta, still gotta give him shit from time to time. Anyways, life is difficult with the dogs. Um, you know, having to be back every few hours to let them out or feed them or whatever. I'm so, 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 so grateful for my parents for taking them from time to time. Um, I wouldn't have been able to accomplish many, if not most, of the things in my life without, you know, the graciousness of them taking them in. Because 
Judah and Gus can be obnoxious sometimes. Uh, don't get me wrong. They are uh, sweethearts and, you know, very, very well-behaved dogs. They really are. They don't get into trouble. They don't, you know, they don't shit in the house. They don't uh, pee in the house. They don't get into the garbage. They don't do anything, at least these days. They used to a little bit when they were younger, but not much these days. Or n never these days. Anyways, I'm just saying they bark. <laughs> Barking is the big thing. Um, any little noise, you'll hear it many times in this podcast. They just, they can't help themselves. I don't know where they got it. Um, I wish, I wish it was some other way. It's just sort of who they are. So, you know, kind of got to deal with it. Um, but I wouldn't trade them for the world. Um, okay, let's see if I can wrap up this um, conversation we were having about anxiety medications, if I can even find a way to get back there. Um, gosh, guys, I really want a new chair. <laughs> it's so creaky. Um, it sounds too much like a butt. I hate it. Um, what was... I saying, oh yeah, so when I'm off of the medication, it it reminds me that like there is going to be a future where I don't have this, so I need to start figuring out ways to deal with what life is like when I don't have it. Um, and to bring it back to what I said, cold turkey is not the way you're supposed to do it. Um, and that's why the body reacts so poorly if you forget. Um, so I do want to eventually start taking steps back in the dosage and still keeping in mind that I am a person with anxiety. It's not just cured. It doesn't just go away. I think everybody has anxiety to a certain degree. Um, I guess I, I don't know that. Um, my assumption is that everybody has a base level of anxiety it doesn't necessarily need to be medicated for some. Um, it doesn't need to even be addressed for some. But for me, it does. So I have to continue to remember breathing is the biggest help. Um, I'm not here to be a yogi. I am not a certified yogi. I do a lot of yoga. I do a lot of meditation. Um not uh, it's not just because I want to it's not the woo woo of it it's because I have to because if I don't um my life is just I, I equate yoga especially to the chapstick philosophy and I've said this to many people at many different times that like there are some people in the world who just don't use chapstick but they should right you know a few people in their life that just, they probably should use some chapstick once you start using chapstick, you start to realize how chapped your lips were. And then when you stop using chapstick, you realize how chapped your lips are. And you really, <clears throat> really need chapstick. That is not only my medication, but that's yoga. Uh, wasn't really my thing for the longest time. I thought yoga was like the thing you do to be flexible. But it's so much more than that. It is, it's actually more about the breathing than it is about the exercise for me. Um, hot yoga is the exercise portion. Daily yoga is, yes, I do intense yoga in the morning, but uh, it's, again, more about the breathing. It's more about tuning in with how I'm feeling in the morning, seeing 
setting some sort of intention for the day. And because of my base level of anxiety, I do a lot of shallow breathing, um, which can lead to anxiety attacks and uh, just a higher base level of anxiety. So it helps me get in touch with my breath. And then throughout the day, if you're a part of my life, you'll hear me. Every once in a while. Because <laughs> I'm anxious in that moment. And I'm just tuning in with my breath. I'm checking in. In that moment, I'm also looking for things that I can see and feel and just grounding myself and just tuning in with myself and the world around me. Um, because God damn, that heart attack like feeling was, I never want to experience it again. Yes, it is. Of course, um, it's healing and everything. This um, journey that I'm on is a very healing journey. But it, it's, it was out of a fear response. That, that hurt so bad. It scared me so much. And just made me so much more aware of my mortality in general. I mean, and to be frank, like, you know, I had, there had been multiple times before where I th was going to kill myself. But this was different because I think at this time, it was like, you know, death wasn't in my hands. It was something that was happening to me. And that was scary. And I don't want that shit again. I just don't want it. Um, so yeah, that was my uh, that was my little rant on medication and depression. Um, what else we got here? Just a few more things. I think we could probably wrap up here soon. Oh, ooh, I know what we should talk about. A uh, small little series of conversations that all lead to one another. So this bad boy here, let's see if it focuses. It probably won't. Um, no, it's not going to focus. Um, it kind of focused. If you're watching, uh, you may or may not be looking at a Polaroid of a film set with a drum set and a couple of amps in it. Um, my band Midwest Guys is working on a music video right now. Um... I don't want to say anything about the song or anything about the project projects that we are working on right now, but we are working on a lot of cool shit that I cannot wait to start announcing and teasing. Uh, it's just, it, it feels like I have this VIP knowledge and like it is actually, I'm so fortunate to be a part of this band. I got to be real. I think I mentioned this in the Ethan podcast and maybe even the episode with Nikolai, but I hadn't drummed in like 10 years, guys, with this, uh, with the financial shit I've dealt with over the years and with whatever the, the, um, resentment that I had about playing music after I had quit a band, I just gave up on drumming and then, it, and I sold my drum set and then I couldn't afford a new one. Um, and I really set myself up for failure there because throughout the years, I've just been like, man, I, I was really good. I was really good. It was, it was my first creative love and I was so disciplined and I practiced every day, multiple times a day for hours at a time at a very, um, fundamental 
point of my life in brain development. So that shit became a part of me. Um, and I, I just took, I took 10 years off and I stumbled across, we're going to talk about this. Once we get to start announcing some of the things that I'm withholding from you right now, they're going to be on the podcast, James and Kyle. So we can start talking about it in general. I just figured we'd wait to have them on until we can tease the stuff. Um, I'm looking at something. Is my lens cracked? No, it's not. Whew, I just got really freaked out. I thought my lens was cracked. Anyway, um, I was uh, hired externally by James to shoot a wedding with him at a time when their drummer had just left. I had just moved to Grand Rapids. Um, and so it was like my first paid video gig being out there. I was like, oh, thank God. I finally get back out there. James hires me for this and then tells me that their drummer left. I was like, oh, man, that sucks, dude. I, I love Midwest guys. Like, I was such a big fan of them. Because my band played with them for a while. A couple of shows here and there. And I, back in the day. And I, it was just so cool to, like, be a buddy of one of the people that I was, like, a fan of. And then he started talking about how they have... They had a drum set at their practice space, and it wasn't a very good kit, but, you know, if I ever wanted to come over and just jam, we could. I was like, oh, dude, that would be so much fun to see if I even have the chops anymore. I don't know. Um, and I had, like, I had sat down and jammed with another band when I had gotten to Grand Rapids. Um, uh, uh, they're uh, they're out, just outside of Grand Rapids. Sorry, I just had a little brain slip here. I was trying to remember if they were in downtown Grand Rapids or not. Just outside of Grand Rapids. Anyways, irrelevant. Um, and I was just kind of like messing around just to like see if I could still do it. But it wasn't pop punk. It wasn't punk adjacent or anything. And that's that's the sweet spot, right? Um, I came over and I had a blast. And I get, it was very apparent that the drum set was not very good. Um, but I had I just had so much fun like connecting with some pop punk dudes and like just feeling out some covers, and then we played some Midwest Skies music that they had played for a while. And then I don't exactly remember how the conversation or conversations went, but pretty soon thereafter it was like, "So are you gonna like join Midwest Guys?" And I was like, "Well, guys, I don't, you know, I don't have my own drum set. Like, oh, you could just use this one." I was like, "Well, guys, I mean, it's not a very great." drum set and I'm like oh we'll just buy one well guys I can't like I can't like commit to touring oh we're not gonna tour right now we're just kind of writing well I, I can't commit to do you want to play music yeah can you make once a week work yeah then be in the band okay <laughs> And, and and I'm in, and and it's been like a year. No, it hasn't been. A, it hasn't been quite a year, probably close to a year at this point. We haven't announced or released anything. We've done a couple of shows. Um, they have a pretty decent following already. They've been around for well over a decade. Um, they played Warped Tour. They played with a lot of huge bands, and they've had a couple of big moments in the sun. And so there's really no pressure to be in this band because right now my obligations are show up play the drum set well, help us write, and perform on stage. Okay, I can do that. I love that. 
and I'm having the time of my life and we're writing really great shit. And right now we're working on a music video for some of the things that we wrote. And it has created this opening in my mind where I don't just have to be, I don't have to be one particular creative field. I don't have to be an actor. I don't have to be a cinematographer. I don't have to be a director. I can be a drummer. I can act. I can do a podcast. I can do all of these different things. And each one of them can creatively fulfill me as like a piece of the pie, right? Midwest Guys has become a really big piece of the pie. And I'm getting a lot of validation and enjoyment out of that. And in transition from that, I've been able to shoot a couple of drum covers. Um, I don't put a lot of production value into them. I'm not busting out my lights or anything like that. But my old YouTube channel that I first started, that if you're a fan of me or have uh, watched some of my stuff from back in the day, it's the old channel, youtube.com slash at mundmandrummer, M-U-N-D-M-A-N-D-R-U-M-M-E-R. Um, yeah, and I'm going to try and put some more drum covers out. Maybe in the future I'll... Um, try and spice it up, make it look a little bit better. But right now it's just a reconnection to music. I just love playing, man. So I'm not posting everything that I learned how to play. These are just like, hey, do we have a spare hour today? Could I shoot something? And then I do. So no obligations on that channel. There's not going to be weekly uploads. There's not going to be monthly uploads. It'll be whenever I get the time. But if you want to see me hit some circles with sticks, YouTube.com slash at Drummer. You can find me on Instagram.com at David J. Mund. Um, guys, that's pretty much it. Uh, did, I, did, I, did I leave any other notes? Said something about being colorblind. Drum covers, music video, medicine issues. Said there's no snow in January. That's pretty fucking scary. Um, climate change is here, folks. I do not have a positive thing to say about that, so maybe it's not a thing that we should go out on, but I'm just saying I'm a little freaked out. There is no snow. There has been no snow in Michigan in January. It's January 20th, so a little freaked out. But let's go out on something more positive. Hmm, this drink is delicious. The milk has not totally destroyed my insides yet, although I feel it. I am feeling it. Um... My dogs are healthy. I'm alive. That's good. <laughs> uh, and there's, uh, I've got a lot of cool creative projects being worked on right now. Just ripe for announcing, but there's still a little bit more time. Um, they need to ripen a little bit more. Um, I've got a pretty big episode. I've got two big episodes that I'm shooting uh, later on this week, I've got one that I'm actually shooting tonight with some old friends and former guests of the podcast. That's all I'll tease. Um, you probably might not even know them if you haven't listened to all my episodes, but they're two very great friends and it'll be my first dual guest episode and it all makes sense to tell one cohesive story. Um, and then I will have my buddy Chris Houghton on, uh, he was referenced in the Ethan Hingston podcast in that he was Ethan's first friend before he met me, and then he became a very good friend of mine. So mutual friend of the of that space from up north growing up. He's going to be on the podcast on Monday. But until then, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Like, for reals. I love that I get to do this. And I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.